Continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, we are in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, reading from verse 20. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted into heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So Jesus starts to to do something that we've not seen him do much before up to to this point. And so all of a sudden, he starts, it it, it says he began to denounce the cities in in, in, in which his miracles were done, in which most of his miracles were done. So he began to denounce the city. So here's a guy who's gone into city after city and done so many miracles. We only have a very small snapshot of the miracles that he's done. He's done so many more than what are recorded here. And we know that because the last verse in John's Gospel says, John writes, the Gospel according to John, that if all the works to Jesus had been recorded, I don't think all the books in the world could contain them. So, so the world wouldn't be, be enough to contain all the books if all the works that he had done were recorded. So all we have is a very small amount. So now he specifically chooses three cities of the, all the different cities that he went to. And these are the cities in which it says he did most of his miracles. He began to denounce them. Than these three cities in which most of his miracles were done. And you'd say, well, why, why is he doing this? I mean, here he had done all this work to you know, draw these people and to share with them, and now he's just going to mess it up by you know, denouncing these cities. Well, it says very specifically why he was denouncing them. It says, because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. repent. So he took the cities in which the... The, the three cities in which he had done the most of his miracles, and he started to denounce them because they did not repent. So when it says a city, it doesn't mean the physical infrastructure, the buildings, the roads, because buildings and roads can't repent. He's speaking about the people in those cities. He starts to denounce the cities because they did not repent. Because they did not repent, he started to denounce the cities. And so you see this switch here. Here is this Jesus that's ministering and touching so many people. And now he starts to denounce the cities. And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Now I'll tell you, we have no record of Jesus ever going to Chorazin. We have no record of Jesus ever leaving Chorazin. We have no record of Jesus ever being in Chorazin. But it's one of the three most cities that he did miracles in. Well, why don't we have record? Well, John told us. Because we couldn't record it all. 
The gospel wasn't big enough. In fact, the whole world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the works. We have just chosen a very select set. But it says right here, this is one of the cities where most of his miracles were done. We never even have a record of him going into Chorazin. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin. This woe to you is woe. I mean, this means real problems. We're going to see this woe to you later on when, he, when, when uh, uh, Jesus starts to come against the Pharisees. And he's going to start proclaiming woe over the city of Jerusalem. And this is a prophecy concerning the, the A.D. 70 judgment that was to come. When Jesus says, woe to you, this is a very big deal. This is God coming in the flesh saying, woe to you. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now we have many miracles of his record, recorded in Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he, he talks about these two cities of Tyre and Sidon. These, the, the cities of Tyre and Sidon were founded in about 2700 B.C. They were destroyed in 332 and 333 B.C. by Alexander the Great. They were destroyed 350 years before Jesus was talking about, uh, about this. Uh, so, 350 years earlier than when Jesus is speaking at this point, they had been destroyed. So, Tyre is the city off the coast of Lebanon. It was an island city. When Alexander the Great destroyed it, he took all the stones that the buildings were made out of and he threw them in the water and built a causeway, a ramp from the, the, the mainland to this little island which was just off the coast, except for a very small area that they say kind of filled in with soot over time because it was much deeper. And then Sidon is, is just on the land there. So he first destroyed Sidon in, in 333 and then Tyre in, in 332. And, and so when he did this, uh, uh, Jesus makes reference to this. He said that Tyre and Sidon, he, he said, if, if they had seen these miracles, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now those two cities remain to this day. Now the city of Tyre is considered part of the mainland, but it's connected now to what used to just be an island city. But those two cities exist in Lebanon today. So he never says that they don't exist. He says they would have repented long ago. So in other words, they would have repented and not been destroyed. What does that tell us? That tells us that judgment can come upon a city. Judgment can come upon a land if they don't, do not repent. That is the implication here. It is a serious thing in God's eyes that there would not be repentance. He says, if they had seen what you had seen, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, meaning that the way repentance was done in those days, they would put on sackcloth because it was very rough clothing. They'd cover their hair with ashes as a sign of repentance. He says, they would have repented long ago if they received the witness that you received. And then he goes on. He says, nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So for Chorazin and Bethsaida, that judgment that came upon those people, remember, judgment comes upon a people, is less severe than the judgment that's going to come upon you two cities. And he says, it will be, less, it will be more toler 
tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So in other words, this is a coming day of judgment. There was a physical death that came upon those cities by Alexander the Great when it was taken. But there is a judgment day that will come. So all those people that were in Tyre and Sidon, that were killed, they, their souls will one day be judged at the great white throne judgment. He says it is going to be more tolerable for them than for you in the day of judgment. What does this now tell us? It tells us that within judgment, there are different measures of how much torture, how bad it's going to be in judgment. If you say, oh no, a sin is a sin, it's all the same. A sin is a sin, it's all the same in that it's all wrong. But as far as the judgments for sin, it's very different. From the Old Testament, it has been different. You kill somebody, the penalty was much different than if you stole something. And in the same way, there is a difference. If, if sin is sin and it's all the same, well then it doesn't matter if a man has a lustful thought or if he goes out and commits adultery. Ask his wife whether that matters. Both are sin, but one has far more devastating consequences than another. I murder a man in my heart versus I murder a man. Those have, both of those are sin. Both of those will be judged, but they have different levels of judgment. Here Jesus says there are different levels of judgment. And you talk about a just God? Because there are different levels of judgment. And then we will see, we'll look at some verses where it has to do also with what we've heard. One man may not know it to be a sin. Another man may know that that is a sin. There are different levels, and we'll see that in a moment. But then he says, in you, Capernaum. So we have, we have many, many examples of him going into Capernaum. In fact, Capernaum was his base city. This is where he did lots of miracles recorded. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For, the miracles, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. So Sodom was a city that was destroyed in the day of Abraham. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? That was destroyed 1700 BC. It was destroyed and never rebuilt. He says it would have remained to this day. Jesus is making reference to a city that had been destroyed 1700 years earlier than when he's speaking. But this example of Sodom and often Gomorrah as well, are used throughout the Scriptures. I was just reading last night my daily readings in Isaiah chapter 1, and it makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment that came upon them. So that's Isaiah 700 B.C. Isaiah is making reference to something that had happened a thousand years earlier to when he's writing. Jesus is now making reference to something that had occurred 1,700 years earlier from when he's speaking. And we still will use that same terminology today to refer to Sodom and Gomorrah. That city no longer exists. It is believed that, that they, they, they've been dig, doing digging. They believe it's thir, uh, 14 kilometers north of the Dead Sea. Northeast of the Dead Sea is where, where they're doing the digging and finding this, what they think is the city of Sodom. Where judgment rained down on that city. And we saw how evil the people in that city were. And it was destroyed by a rain of fire. A rain of judgment had come upon them. And Jesus said, Capernaum, let me tell you, if Sodom had seen the miracles that you saw, the city would remain to this day. So in other words, civilizations are wiped out because of sin. Cities, kingdoms are wiped out because of sin. This is no laughing matter. 
This destroys kingdoms, are destroyed because of sin. This is the example that we see in Scripture. This is the example that they told, God often spoke to Israel. I'm putting you in this land, not because of your righteousness, because the people before you have sinned greatly. I'm giving you now this land. He destroyed the Canaanites to bring in uh, uh, the land of Israel because of their sins, the, the Canaanite sin. Then he says, nevertheless, I say to you in verse 24, that it, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I mean, these folks in Capernaum who saw Jesus and saw His miracles and heard His words and did all these miracles in their presence and yet did not repent, He said, in the day of judgment, it's going to be worse for you than for those people that lived in Sodom. When your souls are judged in the day of judgment, it's going to be worse for you. When we are given, the more we are given, the more, the more we are held responsible. So if you look in Luke chapter 12, in Luke chapter 12, here's an example of this. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. Luke 12, 47. He told the parable, and here's the synopsis of the parable in Luke 12, 47. And that slave who knew the master's will and did not get ready or act in, according with his, in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging, will receive but a few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. So in other words, God expects more of us as believers than he does of people of the world. Sometimes it would be like, well, you know, that person never said sorry to me. Why should I say anything to them? Because you know Jesus. Because more is expected of you. Because spiritually they're a two-year-old and spiritually you're an adult. What is expected of an adult is, ex- is more that's expected of an adult than of a two-year-old. There is more expected of a believer in Christ than there is of an unbeliever. Because we have been given more light. More is expected of us. How will we respond to the light that has been given to us? The more light we are given, the more that is expected of us. The more light that we are given, the more that is expected of us. And His grace is there. Plenty of grace to do what He has called us to do. But will we respond to His light? To his life. You see how big a deal repentance is in Jesus' eyes? You see how big a deal repentance is? Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. We're reading from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. This talks about the wisdom of God that comes upon, that, that is offered to his people. The wisdom of God. Now let me just say, That we are secure in Christ. Our salvation is secure in Christ. We are not going to lose that. If we could lose it, then, you know, I had a bad day. So I lost my salvation, then the next day I had a good day and I got it back again. And the next day I had had a not so good day, and so I kind of lost my salvation again. And the next day I got all better and I get it back. I mean, that'd be a really precarious life to have to live. We're not losing our salvation on this. When we come to Jesus, the salvation is secure. We will get through that white throne judgment by not even going through it. We don't even go through the white throne judgment. We're all with Jesus in that. But, what hits us as believers 
is what will come in our lives because of the light of Christ and how we respond to it. Look in, in Proverbs chapter, chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street, she lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Okay, so, he says, I'm giving you wisdom. And wisdom isn't just whispering. He says, wisdom shouts in the streets. This word of God is full of God's wisdom and instruction for us. God's light is here. He says, wisdom shouts in the street. We can never say, oh, well, you know, I never heard it. He says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. So the main congregation where people go. If you go to Israel, you see these, these cities. You know, where, where, that would probably have a few thousand people. And there was always an entrance, one entrance into that city where that, that they would keep it guarded. And there was a wall there. And men would sit by those walls. And then you come and you had to go through that wall. And then there was an open square where people could congregate. He says, at the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Wisdom is right there at the entrance. As soon as you come in, wisdom is given. And then it says, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate wisdom? He says, you see here, there's three categories of people when it comes to our understanding of Christ. He says, there's, he says how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Oh, well, you know, I just never really paid much attention to it. You know, I, I, I didn't think all these rules really apply to me. I didn't take it seriously. You know, this book was written a long time ago. It didn't really apply to me. I mean, this is, you know, this is 2012. You know, that's so 1990. <laughs> um, so he says, he says, how long will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. So you see there's a progression here. There's just people who just want to ignore this. And then there's scoffers who just say, oh, that, those rules, the Bible, it's a bunch of garbage. Scoff at it. And then he says, and fools hate knowledge. The fools that hate it. You know, there are people that are totally oblivious to Christians, say, on campus. Then there are others who, when it comes up, they, they mock them out. Christians are idiots. And then there are others just just hate us. Just hate us. This is a progression. And there are some professors that just speak poorly about Christians in their class. And I'm wondering why. I mean, you teach evolutionary biology. What does this have to do with Christianity? Just teach your subject. But they absolutely hate Christians. And so you see this. He says there's these different levels. There's naive ones, just simple-minded there's scoffers who just kind of scoff at it. And then there's the fools that just hate it. Hate knowledge. Hate the Word of God. I remember sharing, sharing with a guy who was going to be going through a divorce. And I, I begged him, don't do it. I begged him. He says, why? What, what's the word? And I started to quote from him from the Bible. He says, don't give me that Bible. Don't, I don't want to hear it. I mean, the guy just hated it. Just hated it. This is what he's talking about. There are these three different levels. He says in verse 23, Turn to my reproof. 
Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So God has reproof for us. You read the word of God, what should happen? You're reading along, you're like, uh-oh. I've got to do something in my life. I've got to change something in my life. Turn to my reproof. Turn to my reproof. And this is why we have to be open to God's reproof. Jesus says, repent. This is why I'm so big on the Lord's Supper. At least once a week I can get there and just allow God to search my heart because I forget to do this during the week. Turn to my reproof. God has correction. You know what reproof is? It's correction. That's wrong. I moved into a a discipleship house when I was starting my junior year in college. And and, uh, I moved into a house with nine other Christian guys. And... um, uh, you know, the first task I had to do, you know, the guys were doing the dishes. I hadn't been assigned a formal task, and I thought I would help. So they, they had the silverware, and I had to put it back in the silverware drawer. So I took the basket of silverware, and I dumped it in the silverware drawer. And one of the guys said, what are you doing? So I put the silverware away. <laughs> he says, that's not how you do it. I said, what do you mean? He says, you put the forks in here, you put the knives in here, and you put the spoons in here. He said, what's the difference? It's, it's all right there. He just shook his head. He says... Reproof and correction in righteousness. This is what, he, and he started quoting to me from Proverbs. He says, reproof and correction in righteousness is the way of the Lord. And that really hit me. That I was being reproved. I thought I had done a good job. But no, in this house, you put them in order. Shireen now has to go in order. You don't just dump them all in there. There's reproof in the kingdom of God. How will we respond to reproof. God reproves us. There's reproof. Reproof and correction and training is training in righteousness. This is what God has for us. He says, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Look at the blessing. If we accept his reproof, there is great blessing. If we accept correction, there is great blessing. Rather than, who are you to correct me? I think I'll just go to another church. The correction comes. And if we are corrected and we receive it, there is blessing that comes. God blesses when we receive correction. This is a beautiful thing. He says, if you would turn to my reproof, I will pour out my spirit. Not just dab you with my spirit. I pour out my spirit on you. This is a beautiful thing. This is what he says. I will make my words known to you. In other words, if we respond to God's light, He gives us more light. If we respond to the Word of God, if we respond to these things, He gives us more light. There is more light that He gives us the more we respond. He said, I I will make my words known to you. You'll have more understanding if you respond rightly to these things. Because I called... And you refused, in verse 24. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. 
So they shall eat the fruits of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So remember, we're not talking about salvation, but we're talking about what life will be like. He says, because I called to you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. God puts out his hand. And you neglected all my counsel and you didn't want my reproof. Here's what's going to happen. I will laugh at your calamity and I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. I'll give you some examples so you, you, you can see what I mean. Um, I knew a man, he, he, he wouldn't come to church. His wife would come to church and he would take the boys fishing. And he was a believer. He'd just gotten this, well, you know, I don't really need church. He stopped coming to church and he started falling out of fellowship and he would just take his boys fishing on the weekends. You know, father and son thing, that's good. Well, week after week, and his, you know, his wife was always sitting alone in church, sitting alone in church, and, and this went on for a year. Well, lo and behold, I mean, it wasn't just this where, where, where the woman was neglected. She was neglected, obviously, in the home as well. And there was a man that started showing her attention at work. And so she ended up running off with this man at work. And the guy, and this was a, a family that was really quite committed to the body of Christ before this. And this guy, you know, started coming back to church and wanted to get everything right. And, you know, she was gone. She was just gone. And this guy was crying out for help, and no, it was gone. It was gone. I don't justify, I'm not justifying what this woman did. I'm just saying this family just absolutely fell apart. Little by little, you start neglecting these things that are important. And then what will happen? You will cry out. They will call to me, but I will not answer. You can't put these marriages back together. You try, but in many cases, it's too far gone. You mess around with these things. You keep disobeying. And it's going to draw you away. And you can't put the pieces back together. These people are very much saved. They haven't lost their salvation. But things in their lives start to fall apart. Look at, look at uh, uh, folks that get real in trouble with, with you know, say, say cheating in, in you know, say their investment banking. These are not bad people that say, I, I think I'm going to rip people off today and you know, do something illegal today. These are little things that start happening and they start straying further and further from this. And sometimes these are believers in Christ. And they can't put, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. Okay, and all the federal investigators, they stop their investigation and say, oh, you're a Christian, yes, forgiveness, we're good to go. No, you're going to go to jail. And wisdom, it says, will laugh at us. Wisdom will laugh at us because we didn't respond to the reproof. When we don't respond to God's light, your life, my life, will begin to fall apart. When we don't respond to God's light and His instruction, our lives will begin to become unraveled. This will happen to any life. And I see this with young people. I see young people in school and they've got the world by their tail and everything is going well. And 10, 15, 20 years later, it's a mess. It is a mess. You know, they were so in love with this young girl and they were getting married and everything was good. 
And everything turned out not to be good. It wasn't like one day they just woke up and it wasn't good. Step by step, you stop neglecting God's, you start neglecting God's reproof. Remember the concept in God that you see throughout the Old and the New Testament. You fear God and you keep His commandments. Jesus said this, the Bible says this, you fear God and you keep His commandments. He says, they will call to me in verse 28, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know, when we hate knowledge, when we go against what God is instructing us, we begin to drift away from these things. Fear God, it says. He says, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. They will eat the fruit of their own way. You chose that way, now you're going to eat the fruit of it. You thought this other guy would be better for you, that you were going to lose your husband? You wait until this guy starts abusing you. I have seen this many times, both men who have strayed from marriage, women who have strayed from marriage and adultery. They think that this other person is all going to be much better. Twenty years later, they look back and they say, I really had it pretty good with that first spouse of mine. You will often, if you, if you get talking with some of these people, they say, you know, it was really pretty good. You will be satiated with your own device. You sati- that, that's like, um, when I was in college, the, these uh, buffets just started coming out. This one buffet in town came where it's all you could eat. You know, now you have them all over. But at the time, they just, this was an unheard of thing. All you can eat, buffet. And I remember... A bunch of us in this, this discipleship house were going to go to this buffet and we were going to eat. We were just talking about it. I mean, all we can eat. And, and you'd line up, there were these troughs. <laughs> and you'd go from trough to trough and you filled it up. And we had to get back to the seat right away and pray and just eat. You know, because we had never seen this before. All you can eat, so we eat this. Then we're going back for more. And it, after a while, we, we couldn't even sit anymore. We just kind of had to get linear. Because the food couldn't even curl up in our stomach anymore. It was like just coming right up our esophagus. We were satiated. This had never happened to me before. And it was a terrible feeling. You know, something that's so good could end up so bad. And it says they will be satiated by their own devices. Your own devices will fill you. And what you thought was so good will end up so bad. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. Remember we said in verse 22, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Verse 32, the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And then, and then it talked about the scoffers and finally the fools in verse 22. And the complacency of fools in verse 32 will destroy them. So you see the outcome is the same. Your marriage is gone. You just say, well, you know, I, I wasn't really a hater of these things. I didn't even scoff. I just kind of ignored them. Well, the outcome's the same. Your life's destroyed. This is a serious issue. Wisdom cries out. He says, For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. That doesn't mean that no evil comes upon you. It doesn't mean that you never experience death. Walking as a believer, you never experience pain. It's that you can be at ease from the dread of evil. 
that I don't have to live in fear of this stuff. If I walk according to God's ways, I don't have to live in fear of this kind of thing. God will see me through. God will see me through. Jesus spoke of these cities where he had ministered so much, so lovingly, so kindly, person after person coming to him. He was healing them. Oh, if you knew Jesus was staying in that house. I wouldn't wait till you know, the healing service started. I'd go and just wake him up. My child is sick. Well, why isn't it recorded? Because probably the disciples were sleeping. They couldn't record it. But I am sure that if you had a child that was deathly ill, and you knew Jesus was sleeping down the road in somebody's house, you'd go knocking on the door knowing that Jesus would lovingly say, okay, be healed. And, and your child would be healed. I mean, this guy was constantly, constantly ministering. What would make him turn and start denouncing the people in a city? The lack of repentance. The lack of response to what has been given. How will we respond to the light that has been given. And to whom much is given, much is expected. As we are given much, more is expected of us. We can't live by the, by the world standards. We must live by a higher standard. We must live by a higher standard. Because of who we are as believers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray for these young people that they would take hold of your word, of the wisdom that is there, and walk in it. Father, that they would not see their lives so destroyed, but that they would walk according to the wisdom that you have for them. Father, draw them close, I pray. May they learn how to repent. May they learn how to accept reproof. May they learn how to hear your word. Father, give them good lives so that they could live fear, fearless. They could live without fear from the dread of evil. Without fear of the dread of evil. Father, that you would protect them, that they need not dread evil because you could see them through. Father, I pray that you would speak to their lives and draw them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.